does the church venerate the Blessed Virgin Mary? And what do the mysteries of Mary's life have to do with our daily lives? Dominican Father Peter John Cameron, founding editor-in-chief of Magnificat, joins us today to discuss these and other questions about the Blessed Virgin Mary's instrumental role in the life of faith. I'm Father Michael Scanlon, Chancellor of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. about Marian doctrine and devotion. We have our regular panelists here, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University, and Dr. Scott Hahn, Professor of Biblical Theology here at the University. And our very special guest, Father Peter John Cameron, OP, Order of Preachers, Dominican. Uh, you were ordained in 1986, but you're known mostly because you're the editor-in-chief of Magnificat, the prayer and worship aid used by so many of our students, staff, and throughout the country I've seen it. You currently serve as professor of homiletics at the Dominican House of Studies in Washington, D.C., and as founder and artistic director for the Black Friars Repertory Theater. That impresses me. Mm -hmm. I'm a real drama buff. That way, your books include Why Preach? Jesus present before me, and the latest, The Mysteries of the Virgin Mary, Living Our Lady's Graces, which we will use as a springboard for today's discussion. So welcome. Um, start basically, why does the church venerate the Blessed Virgin Mary? And what do the mysteries of Mary's life have to do with our daily lives? Launch us in. <laughs> Well, the best reason for having devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary is because God does. At the Annunciation, God himself comes and says, Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord expresses yeah. his Marian devotion, that he loves her, he chooses her, he sets her apart. There's something wonderful and special about Our Lady that captivates the heart of God. And if that's so, if that's a fact, then that's something that all of us would do well to, to meditate on and give ourselves to because there's something in that for our own happiness, for our own well-being. Well, one other point, it, the Catholic Catechism calls devotion to the Blessed Virgin intrinsic to Christian worship. It is, yeah. Well, explain us a little further there. Why is it so intrinsic? Why isn't it more optional like other devotions? Well, if something's intrinsic, then we can find the reason for it in our own experience. So when we look at the Blessed Mother, what is intrinsic about Our Lady's role in our life, it is the simple but <clears throat> undeniable historical fact that our Lord, Jesus Christ, comes to us through Mary. 
So that's a fact that happened yeah. in history, and God always manifests himself through history. So if that is the way that Jesus comes to us, as St. Louis de Montfort says so wonderfully in his masterpiece, True Devotion yes. of the Blessed Virgin, then that same fact of the way, the method by which God comes to us is absolutely um, essential to our own life of faith and our growth in holiness. Yeah, the, the idea that Jesus comes to us through Mary, I think, is yeah. understood by many people as nothing more than a biological fact or a chronological sequence of events. But it really is a theological mystery because there were so many ways that Jesus could have done it. Exactly. You know, the fact that he chooses to come to us through Mary and live with us in the Holy Family is itself part of the redemptive program. It isn't reducible just to his suffering, death, and <clears throat> resurrection. Everything that leads up to that also contributes to the, the, the redemption of human life, the redemption of human relations. And uh, when we recognize a common principle that Protestants and Catholics share, that is the imitation of Christ, I think that too is a good springboard. Besides imitating God, we want to imitate Jesus yes. because Jesus fulfilled the law more perfectly than anybody. But a part of that law, one of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and mother. So he honors his heavenly father, but he also honors his earthly mother. And we imitate Jesus not only by honoring our mothers, but by honoring the one mother he honored with the same honor that he gave her. So when we look at it in terms of the imitation of Christ, I think we can, we can overcome a lot of hurdles and just recognize that really this is just another facet in what it means to be a Christian. That is, we imitate Jesus by honoring those he honored, especially his mother. Yeah, I, I was uh, greatly struck by how you answered that question that Father Mike put to you. Yes. Why do we have devotion to Mary? And you very simply say, well, because God is devoted to Mary, as if God were to genuflect before his mother, mm. pay her the highest possible, yes. possible homage. And then you quote uh, St. Louis de Montfort, who I think appears in your book maybe as often as you do. <laughs> yes. uh, and, and he says, the Hail Mary is the supreme compliment we can pay to Mary. And Jesus and God paid that compliment when they sent the angel to address her as this most fair and holy of women. Yes. So there is a certain naturalness yes. to the devotion, an intrinsic necessity and importance. And following uh, Dr. Hahn's notion of imitating Christ, at the end of Christ's life, this is the last thing that he tells us to do. Behold your mother. I mean, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. And he's already given us the Eucharist, which is the, the greatest gift of self he could give us. But he knows that we're fallible. He knows that at, at a certain point, we're, we're not even going to be able to understand that or, or enter deeply into that mystery without the Blessed Mother to show us the meaning and the truth of the life that is Christ alive in the Eucharist. Well, there's still so many that fear, you know, that if you start focusing on the Blessed Virgin Mary, you're going to lose your focus on Jesus Christ as central. But, you know, what if your focus is you, you want to get to Pittsburgh? Okay, so that's your focus. Why would you want to do that? Well, you know, <laughs> no, there are them. Anyways, but is it, is it wrong to take a train? Is it wrong to use a map? Is it wrong to, to consult, uh, you know, the signs on the road? I mean, all of these things lead you there. Well, the Blessed Virgin Mary is all of that and so much more. Mm. The more we give ourselves to the Blessed Virgin Mary, the more she hands us over to her son. Mm. And every time we love Mary, she gives us Jesus. Yeah. Every time. It never every ends with her. Every time. That is a strong statement. You can't just say, I'm going to focus on Mary without yeah. bowing to Jesus. He won't let you. <laughs> right. 
you know, right. yeah. this, is, this is a crucial point because what we see then is that there's no tension. There's no competition between right. Jesus and Mary. Right. There's not only great love and complementarity, <clears throat> but Jesus wants to introduce us to Our Lady as our mother. Behold your mother. And she is the model disciple. She's the one who's going to tell us what she told the servants. Do whatever he tells you. But even more, she's the mother of God. As Elizabeth, her kinswoman, declares in Luke's gospel, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And Mary doesn't correct her and say, well, I'm not technically the mother of God. I'm just the mother of his human nature. You know, women don't mother natures. They mother yeah. persons, in this case, a divine yeah. person. And, and it bespeaks, I think, uh, an amazing condescension on the part of God, uh, uh, a humility, really. I mean, if I were God, I don't think I would need mediation. I would come directly, you know, a full frontal assault. But God comes to us through the medium of, of a woman, a world, flesh and blood and bone. I mean, that's an amazingly humble gesture. And the fathers of the church say, this is why Mary was selected of all the women on, uh, on the planet to be the mother of God, because heaven was so overwhelmed by her humility. They wow. were captivated by I the am, humility yeah. of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Because if you think about it, and this, this fascinates me, the Blessed Mother's early life before that angel appeared to her must have been a bit of an agony for her. Because can you imagine going <laughs> through life, well I can't, maybe you can't, can you imagine going through, going through life without concupiscence, without having any disordered appetite, appetites, appetites that are contrary to reason. So the Blessed Mother was never jealous, she was never selfish, she never told a lie, wow. she was surrounded with people who are this way all the time and she must uh. have said to herself why am I so out of uh. Uh, unusual why am I so different from other people yeah. until the angel came and then she realized that she was she was meant for this like wow. a confirming yeah. sign and, 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 and that gift not only enabled her to become the mother of Jesus it enabled her to become the mother of those whose concupiscence she beheld exactly. growing up right. her whole life. Right. Yeah, and enables us, enables us to help vanquish exactly. uh, that burden of concupiscence. You, you quote the poet Rainer Maria Rilke yeah. several times, uh, and that, that's part of the captivation I, I think that your book imparts. Uh, I mean, you, you anthologize so many wonderful sources. Uh, it, it's a compilation, I think, of true devotion. But, but Rilke suggests that both Mary and the angel were a little bit frightened yeah. at this encounter. <laughs> right, right. The angel, because he yeah. is beholding heaven, paradise. Yeah. I mean, she is uh. so capacious. I, I think that's the word over, that yeah. is, she she is able to accommodate eternity itself and midwife this and into the world. That's yeah. intimidating. It is even for an archangel yeah. that capacious. would give him I mean, pause. Humility yeah. gives her a capacity yeah. for God. Yeah that is unlimited. You know, it's precisely because her humility embraces her limits that she's rendered unlimited in her ability to accommodate God, to become a habitation. You know, all of us, I think, are meant to be uh, signs of God's mercy. You know, just like all of us are meant to be sort of like paintings that Jesus, the redemptive artist, does. But she is the masterpiece, you know. Every artist wants to save his very best for one piece, you know. And if we go to a gallery and behold all of the works of a famous artist who happens to be there, he's not going to feel slighted if instead of staring at him, you just stand there beholding the wonder and beauty of his masterpiece. I mean, I mean Saint, Saint Bernard of Clairvaux calls her the masterpiece yes. of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. That's pretty high praise. Yeah. I mean, it's more than Pittsburgh, it's paradise, really. <laughs> She's, oh she is the door through which eternity comes to us. Exactly. Direct access. And we both grew up in Pittsburgh. 
Pittsburgh, so you should draw. Oh, yeah. Well, still, the church has so many different feasts for Our Lady, and uh, that surprises pe people who certainly aren't Catholic. And uh, is it just her preeminence that creates this, or? Well, again, I think Why the answer I? can always be found in experience. So if we think just about what it means to be human and the kind of feast that we celebrate as human beings, most people celebrate birthdays. Most people celebrate, you know, some yeah. moment of being, uh, gaining maturity, uh, weddings, etc. Well, if you look at the Feast of the Blessed Virgin Mary, all of those correspond to some key moment of, of human growth and of human need. And the same thing with the mysteries that we pray like in the rosary? Absolutely, the absolutely the same. Each of those mysteries is meant to lead us to our happiness, to our destiny, to an understanding of what, what it really means to be a fulfilled human yeah. being. Well, you know, if, if you leave out the luminous mysteries, which are, are, are recent, uh, yes. and look at the three historic traditional mysteries, they, they reflect primordial human conditions, exactly. grief, uh, gladness, uh, glory. I mean, innocence. I mean, these are moments that we all experience. Mary is sort of the objective correlative of, of these events. She incarnates them in her life, the innocence, the grief, the glory. And why shouldn't we commemorate these as we walk through life? She's our companion. I would want to speak in favor of the luminous mysteries doing that just as much. I mean, because you've got baptism, you've got wedding, right. you know, yeah. you've got the gospel itself as well as the countenance of Jesus yeah. and the Eucharist. I mean, Our Lady is the one who takes us into the inexhaustible treasure of Jesus, you know, in the Gospels. I had the privilege yesterday of giving a lecture to about 20 future priests, and uh, I, I concluded by uh, a little Q&A, and at the end, you know, what can we do to get more out of the Gospels? And I said, there's one thing, pray the rosary. You know, wow. for a quarter of a century, I said, I've been doing that for a little longer, in fact, and I just said, no exegetical trick or technique will open up the Gospels half as much Excellent. as that. That is Amen. fascinating. Well, you, well, you talk about that, Father, don't you, in your book when you discuss St. Dominic uh, and, <laughs> yes, and how yeah, he yes. came to yeah. the strategy that would defeat the Albigensian uh, pestilence. I mean, it wasn't weapons of war, and it wasn't even discourse, debate, argumentation. It was the prayer of the rosary. Yes, yeah. yeah. Mary Salter, yeah. That was irre Salter, irresistible. Right. Because it's all the mysteries of redemption yeah. united yeah. with the one who is the new Eve, who yeah. takes us to the paradise that we're looking for yeah. by, by, the, by sharing in the obedience by which she said yes to the Holy Spirit, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, living her fiat. Yeah, yeah the, the new Eve introduces us to the new Adam, to the new covenant, the new creation. I mean, but she's more. She's the ark of the new covenant. She is the queen mother of the son of David, the son of God. I mean, the typological riches that you bring out, that the tradition enlivens, I just, uh, it's, it's one of those untapped treasures I think we can always discover more of. Yeah, I agree. Well, we're going to discover a lot more because when we come back, we want to probe more the mysteries in Our Lady's life and how they should affect us and what, what should happen in us because we have this devotion. Stay with us. The heart of our mother is suffering due to the sins of mankind. And I believe the best way that we can make reparation for Our Lady and her heart is to pray the rosary, the very gift that she has given us. 
think, you know, one of the biggest things for me that Mary was realizing how much we need her um, and realizing how she's giving us so many opportunities to get grace to us, particularly in, say, the sacramentals. So the miraculous medal, the brown scapular. For a long time, I thought these were just pious practices, but now I can really see what incredible instruments they are. This university is different because um, not only it's going to sound cliche, but that academically challenging, passionately Catholic, like it's not a lie. It's, it's an it's a academically prestigious school, but it has this Catholic environment that is unlike anything else I've ever seen or experienced firsthand. Priests are very available um, to hear confessions in just spiritual direction, you know, do the sacraments. Franciscan University is academically challenging and passionately Catholic. Talking about Marian doctrine and devotion with our special guest, Dominican Father John P. Peter John Cameron. I, Peter and John, I somehow do it backwards and forwards, but founding editor in chief of Magnificat. Now, um, as we were getting, ending the first segment, we're talking about the mysteries, the mysteries of Our Lady and living the mysteries. Let's probe that further. Uh, for instance, the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. Mm -hmm. What are the most important reasons that Christians should pay close attention to this? Well, it's one of the most profound mysteries of Our Lady. It's the seminal mystery in every way. And it chiefly uh, honors and, and acknowledges the fact that Our Lady was conceived without original sin in the womb of her, her mother uh. Anne. And it is because of this perfect purity, this immaculate purity with which the Blessed Mother was bestowed from the moment of her conception, that she was made uh, supremely worthy to be oh. the mother of God. And, and so that alone is a great thing to celebrate. But for the first time in the history of the world, now there exists a human being on the planet who is not stained by original sin. Yeah. And Mary's place in our life as mother is, uh, is, is, is ordered to mediating to us that same purity. So we are all born with original sin. Yeah. We all are saddled, as I say, with this concupiscence that, that we give in to things that, that don't lead us to our happiness. But in our, in our closeness to the Blessed Virgin Mary, she's able to mediate to us just as a mother is able to, to uh, mediate her DNA to her child, she right. mediates to us this purity that is a pure gift from God to her. It, it, it is wow. instructive that Jesus probably looked like his mother. Yes. You know, yeah. they had the same eyes. Yeah. Uh, uh, Smile. Wordsworth, you know, the, the Protestant poet speaks of Mary as our tainted nature's solitary Very boast. Both. But yes. you could extend that to God. That's his solitary boast. And you quote somebody, it's probably St. Louis de Montfort, <laughs> that when he fashioned Mary, you know, this pure vessel of absolute innocence in her mother's womb, he took more delight in doing that than he did in constructing the whole cosmos. Now that's pretty amazing. She's a work of grace and, and that far outstrips the work of nature. But, still, I mean, even to pull that off, nature, that's pretty impressive. And but, there's still the people who feel, you know, that it detracts from Jesus. Why don't you just stay with Jesus instead of having special feasts and mysteries for Mary? You know, one thing we have to be clear on, you know, when Jesus becomes man, 
obeys, suffers, dies, and rises, he doesn't end up getting anything more for his divine personhood than he had before the incarnation. He's divine. He possesses the infinity of glory from all eternity. And so we have to wonder, why did he enter into this great exchange? If it wasn't to get more for himself, it was to give more to us. So if Jesus came to give his life to us, the question that remains is, well, how much is he willing to give? All of it? Well, where do you find the fullness of his grace and glory resplendent? Certainly not in me, and I suspect probably not in you all. But in her alone do we find the perfection of Christ's redemptive work. Not in him, because he didn't need to be redeemed, but in her, precisely because redemption is not just from original sin, but for divine glory. She who is the fullness of grace and the fullness of glory is exhibit A, proof positive that Christ's redemptive work is perfect. It's true. And again, going back to experience, if if I develop a friendship with somebody and I become very close to him, and at one point he says to me, I I want to to take you home, I want you to meet my mother. I say, no, no, I don't want to meet your mother, I'm just interested in you. I want friendship yeah. with you. Well, yeah. immediately the friendship begins to, to break down a little bit uh. because I can't know you completely unless I know your family. When I meet your family, knowing your mother is not going to make me know you less. It's going to make me closer to you. And it's the same with, with Jesus. If you, if you say, I just want to go to Jesus. Okay, well, what's in Jesus' heart? In Jesus' heart is his blessed mother. He right. loves her. Yeah. He loves yeah. her. So we're, we're, to go to Jesus without, without uh, bringing Mary into that embrace is to, is to say no to something that is most dear to the sacred heart of Christ. Right. Yeah. You, you also make the point, which I, I thought uh, really wonderfully salient, that the only guy who didn't have a mother was right. Adam. And Adam. what a mess. Yeah, God saw that was a big problem. He said, I'm never doing that again. So salvation has to have a mother. It, again, an experience. Dying soldiers on battlefields call out for their mothers. Why do they do this? Scientists yeah. have studied yeah. this. They don't yeah. call out for their girlfriends. They don't call out for their attorneys. No, they call out for their mothers. Why? Because at that moment, something very human kicks in. And if I, if I know that there is some sort of connection with them, because their mothers are thousands of miles away, they're not going to materialize, right. which is the Latin source of the word mother, mater, material. But uh. the, if just crying out to the mother, gives them the kind of peace they need to be able to, to enter into eternity, to a wow. It's something That's very, a, very profound and deep in us. Profound. Yeah. And now, you, you began this, uh, this uh, inquiry with asking Father about her immaculate conception. I mean, what does that mean? Pope Benedict uh, suggests that it means Mary preserves a space uh, in herself which God fully possesses. In fact, there's no other space in Mary that isn't already uh, owned, possessed by him. He, he, I mean, she is his possession, his property, and she takes joy in this. She has no I except his will. In his will is my peace. That, that explanation oh. I think, cuts to the quick. That gets to the heart of it because it isn't enough to say that her immaculate conception simply rendered her without original sin. Because, you know, it's like the Bible is without error, but that's not the point. Lots of books might not have mistakes, but they're not inspired. They don't have the fullness of saving truth. She possesses the fullness of saving grace. She is the sanctuary. And and precisely because she is the fullness, 
in some ways, she surpasses, as you were mentioning, the, the, the greatness of the first creation. Yes. You know, so what is original sin? Well, it's not just a stain. It's the absence. It's right. the privation of God's indwelling presence. You know, Adam and Eve transmit human nature to their progeny, but human nature devoid of divine nature because they expelled that divine presence precisely by committing a mortal sin. It's true. So we now see, I like the Eastern fathers who speak of Our Lady as Panhagia. The, you know, all, all holiness, you know. Yeah. She's the all holy one because the holy one of God has come to dwell in her as his most perfect sanctuary. Yeah. That is the only sufficient antidote for original sin, right. to take an absence and replace it with a presence yeah, and the right. full yeah. presence of God. Right. Right. You know, you also quote St. John of Damascus uh, in your book uh, who, who says that the serpent never had access to this paradise. Paradise. Yeah. Yeah. paradise. I mean, somebody years ago gave me a, a collection of, uh, of hymns to Mary mm -hmm. that were composed during the first millennium. And, and there's one hymn in particular that, that, that stands out from the fifth century. He asks the question, what shall I call thee who art full of grace? And he answers, I shall call thee paradise because wow. the sun of justice rose in thee. I shall call thee heaven because the bloom of immortality took place in thee. You can't get any higher praise than that. And speaking about Adam and Eve and, and the garden and their sin along the lines of, of what this has to do with the Immaculate Conception, the Catechism says that Adam and Eve conceived a distrust of God because of the, the false conception that was put before them yeah. by the serpent. Yeah. And this is the other dimension of the conception of the Immaculate Conception, that in her now we are given the way to conceive of God even intellectually. So when we look at the Blessed Virgin Mary, we see in flesh how God conceives of his own goodness, yeah. of his own purity, of his own faithfulness, of his own blessedness, of his own holiness. In in a person, so that now when, when I want to be obedient to God's will, now when I want to make up for that, that, that disobedience of Adam and Eve, it's not an intellectual idea I'm following, it's a relationship that I'm entering into, yeah, yeah. which was the very thing that Adam and Eve forfeited by their sin. Right. So now God to, re, to overturn it, and, if you, and this is uh, St. Robert Southall, he says, you, you take the name of Eve and you spell it backwards, it's Ave, Ave Maria. So the new Eve is the one who now, by being the Immaculate Conception, gives us in her maternal love the way to conceive of the holiness right, and the right. faith and the self-surrender that we want to live for God. Conceptualizing. Yeah, how do we celebrate? In flesh. Uh, we say the Angelus regularly. Why? Uh, yeah. We say the Angelus because this it? is God's method, the method <laughs> of encounter, of entering into history in, in, in the flesh. And, and, and if, again, if we look at our experience, our heart tells us that I want, I want, I want the infinite. I want everything. You know, I don't yeah. want just a little bit of happiness. I want infinite happiness. Yeah. So when, when we pray the Angelus, we look at the fact that this is exactly what happened to the Blessed Virgin Mary. The infinite came to her in the form of a baby in her womb, and she said yes to that. So we're not being asked to be the mother of God, but when we pray the angels, we're saying, what happened to you, O Blessed Virgin Mary, by your, your, your maternal mediation, by your intercession, 
could you allow that, that, that infinite, that mystery to come close to us as well? And that's why we pray three times a day, because the more we pray for that, the more we, we long for in the deepest depths of our hearts happens. Yeah. I, you know, I, I so appreciate, Father, your use of that word encounter. Uh, because that, that's the triggering uh, device, the yeah. catalyzing event, an encounter with God. And it does begin with the Annunciation. And, and it is uh, useful to know that at least twice a year we genuflect uh, when right. we recite publicly uh, the Creed, uh, Christmas certainly, but the Feast of the Annunciation, March 25th. And, and, and by that mystery we are saying something happened you know, this extraordinary event took place, uh, an exceptional event transpired. One day in March, the middle of March, the mysteries converge. And humanly speaking, Mary is the still point where eternity and time come together in her womb. You know, there's a sense in which the fulfillment of all the promises of God surpassed the wildest dreams of the ancient Israelites, you know. Yeah. And, and when, when God doesn't just send the Messiah, when God is the Messiah, when God becomes not just the shepherd, but the lamb, you know, it, it just breaks apart all the categories. It's the new wine just bursting the old skins. And yet what was so unthinkable in the Old Testament has now practically become like wallpaper in the new, you know, like, oh yeah, yeah, God became man. Let's move on to something new and interesting, you know. Right. But this prayer is what enables the newness to erupt in every day in, exactly. in, in our encounter with God, because it's the only thing that will renew what really is old hat, and that is this fallen order. Yeah. And all of the frustrations that come precisely because we're burdened by concupiscence, a darkened intellect, a weakened will, disordered appetites. Yes. You know, only Mary bringing Jesus enables us slowly but surely to overcome that. Now, so this maternal mediation is key? I mean, rather than just honor Mary and go to Jesus, we need this mediation? We do. We, we need, her, we need to, to live the life that, that she alone gives. Blessed Eric of Inyi says that the life that we are all longing for came to birth in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and her womb is ever fruitful. Yeah, uh, ever so, fruitful. Ever fruitful. So That's we beg in, in a mystical way somehow to, to be reborn, to, to share a new life, yeah. not through, just through Mary's prayers, but by the way she makes that happen. Yeah, yeah I mean, the event of, uh, of the Annunciation is recurrent. It's yes. not static. Yeah. It's not like the discovery of America. It happened, right. it's over, right. we move on. Let's discover something else. <laughs> but Annunciation unfolds constantly in time, in, in the human heart. You can somehow reproduce this incarnate word by your openness to God, to grace. Well, when we come back, we want to probe that further. How do we live that mediation of Mary in, in our life rather than I'll go here, then I'll go there, then I'll go the other place? What does it really mean central to our life, Mary's maternal mediation? Stay with us. So in high school, I started praying the rosary every day in the, in the search for having a purer heart. And uh, it was through that that I found the victory and I found that through honoring Mary as my mother and praying the rosary daily, she gave me that pure heart.
In one of the apparitions at Fatima, Our Lady asks us to sacrifice, and when we sacrifice, we should do it for the love of Jesus, for the conversion of sinners, and in reparation for the Immaculate Heart. Um, because Our Lady suffers so much because she desires all people to be in heaven. And so she asks us to be able to sacrifice, to console her in reparation. And through our sacrifices, we can truly say thank you and love her. I took a course on Mary, and one of the greatest gifts I got from this course was praying the rosary. In it, I've just been able to grow closer to the Lord and to Mary. And every day I can see the power that they have in my life and to know that they're with me. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy. And you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu pilgrimages. Talking about Marian doctrine and devotion with Dominican Father Peter John Cameron. And we now want to move to the sense of our living Our Lady's graces, how important that is. Let's start with why is Our Lady remembered as Our Lady of Sorrows, and why is this important? Well, again, all of the mysteries of the Blessed Virgin Mary find their home, if you will, in our own human experience. And so to be human is to be, is to be a, a creature who suffers. And, and one of the greatest um, agonies of our suffering is trying un to understand the meaning of suffering. Yes. And it's, which, it, which is what makes our suffering different from this, you know, the suffering, if you will, of, of animals. And so Our Lady of Sorrows shows us first and foremost that we are not alone in our suffering. So the presence of the Blessed Virgin Mary at the foot of the cross of her son is a living witness to us that our own experience in the cross of Christ, which we all have to take up, our Lord tells us we have to do that. Our own personal experience of crucifixion is not going to happen in isolation or alienation or loneliness. Our Blessed Mother is close to us, loving us with a love that gives us not only an awareness of the meaning of our suffering, but a joy, a desire to embrace that suffering so that we can experience the glory that comes from a joy yes. and desire to embrace the suffering. Yes. That's strong. Yeah, yeah. But when, I think it's yeah. so. When, when John Paul II meditated on the Mother of God, he, yeah. he described her kenosis, her self-emptying, as exceeded only by that of her son. Yeah. And when you think of Mary witnessing uh, the death the crucifixion of her son, who is entirely innocent and knowing that this is somehow necessary, but I have this pained bewilderment about how he's going to work grace out of this, this ghastliness. I mean, that does induce a sorrow, which is absolutely unprecedented. You know, th this, uh, this is counterintuitive, but the, the, the absence of sin and the presence of the fullness of God doesn't render us less capable of love or suffering. I mean, 
we, we think of Mary as being preserved from original sin, but she's not preserved from the capacity to suffer. Uh -huh. If anything, love enlarges our capacity to suffer sacrificially. And so on the one hand, she's spared the natural suffering that is a consequence of sin in giving birth to Jesus and in not having the corruption of mortality through her assumption. On the other hand, what she is called to experience in giving birth to us supernaturally at the foot of the cross is something that no natural son would ever put his natural mother through. Because it's not just her standing there saying, look, son, we both know you're not only innocent, you're divine and eternal. He's not just calling her to give consent to his sacrificial self-offering. Even worse or better, he's asking her to give consent to becoming the mother of all of his executioners and torturers. Absolutely. I mean, that is a kind of suffering that no other mortal woman has ever been able to bear. And he built up to it. I mean, you think about, you know, a woman, what is this between you and me? Or who is my mother or my father, my brothers or sisters? You know, he's not snubbing her, but from a natural perspective, it sure sounds like right, it. Right, but yeah. he's preparing her supernaturally for a, a love the capacity of which can only be actualized through, a, as you said, a kenosis, right, a self-emptying right. that mirrors her own son's self-gift. At the same time, the presence of the Blessed Virgin Mary at the cross of Jesus, yeah. it, she is there for him. This yeah, is an insight from my point. friend, Father Rich Varis, who said, if you, on a Good Friday he preached, he said, if you notice, everyone surrounding that cross is treating Christ like a thing. Like an animal, they call him. A, oh they call him a criminal. They're they're mocking and they're, they're deriding him. He needs to find a face in the crowd that reminds him of his own humanity, and he finds it in the face of his mother. That's astounding. He looks That's at beautiful. Mary to know that he his he is not dying in vain. That he is dying, and when he cries, "I thirst," he's saying. I'm one with you in your humanity because to be human is thirst. Mm. And so this is my glory. I die in, 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 the, in, in the full blossoming of my humanity because I'm, I'm not dying alone. I'm, in, I'm wow. embraced now by the Blessed Mother. You're not dying alone. That's the, the message yeah. being sent there so that we join Our Lady with Jesus. Yeah. And she's dying. I mean, as a mother, it would be easier for her to undergo crucifixion yes. than for her to stand there and give consent. But she's also loving even as she's dying. Yes. You know, and, and, and that's, that's the mystery. You know, I remember as a Protestant, you know, looking at that episode where he says, behold your mother and behold your son. You know, and I just tended to see that, well, it's, it's a last minute detail. He's entrusting her to him. You know, it's sort of like legal custody. Well, as Hengstenberg points out, for one thing, if he had other siblings, right, right. that act would have been illegal sure. in Jewish law. Sure. He didn't have other siblings, or he wouldn't have done that. But second, he could have taken care of that a few days before since he knew this was going to happen. This is not just a last minute detail. This is a highly charged spiritual symbol of how she's entrusted to all of us, precisely because he's talking to the disciple whom he loves. He doesn't say, John, take care of Mary. It's to the beloved disciple. And we're all beloved disciples who get the Blessed Virgin to help us in our care, in our crosses, you know, and, to, and, to, and to, to look at her and to recognize a face so that we can do it. You know, uh, 
the, the suffering of Mary at, at the foot of the cross is so intense as to be unsurpassed by any other human suffering. Mm -hmm. And it is a sense, there is a sense in which she identifies with him uh, and shares in his suffering, vicariously uh, shares and participates uh, in a Eucharistic, uh, mystical way. And, and Jesus is comforted by his mother. I, I can see that. that. That's a piercing insight. But at the same time, Jesus comforts her. Yeah. Uh, there's that moment in the Gibson film, Mel Gibson's oh, yes. Passion of the Christ. Yeah. To me, it's the most riveting scene where Jesus falls the third time. Mary rushes to him yeah. spontaneously, and he looks up to his mother and says, see how I make all things new. Wow. I mean, that, that is uh, profound. One of the most famous and well-known images of Our Lady of Sorrows was probably Michelangelo's Pieta. And if you look at that, that is a study in the, 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 the mysticism of Our Lady of Sorrows because if you, if you just look at, again, the, the facts of that statue, it's very strange because if Mary were to stand up, remember, she's holding the, yep. the, the corpse of her son in her, her, on her laps. First of all, this is physically impossible to do. You can't physically hold a body like that. So what, he's, oh. what he has depicted in that statue can't be done. Don't try it at home. <laughs> but so, so it's something that goes beyond nature, first of all. And the yeah. Catechism says in number 52 that God wants us to respond to him, to know him, to love him in a way that goes beyond our natural capacities. That's given to us in the Blessed Virgin Mary. So there's that. If Mary were to stand up, she'd be seven feet tall in that statue. She's wow. larger than life. Yeah. If you look at her face, how old is she? She's younger than her son in that statue. Yes. And her face is perfectly composed. Right. There's not a, a trace of distress, of sorrow. It is radiant, and it's even made into a kind of a miniature. People have it in their houses. There's a radiance, there's a purity, there's a certainty. And what Michelangelo is saying in this beautiful statue is this, this is what Our Lady of, of Sorrows does for you and your crucifixion. Yeah. She is there at that cross so that all of these miracles of nature and supernature and grace will be given to you if you just let her behold you. But you know, she's not wow. only seven feet tall, but she's also wide. Uh, yeah, she becomes right, yeah. an altar uh, wow. as, as she holds her oh, dead yeah. son in her arms. And it really does, uh, you know, become a sort of Eucharistic symbol. It is. Uh, an oblation. She's offering him to us, to the world. Yeah. You know, I remember taking a doctoral seminar as a new Catholic in Christology, and uh, the professor had us contemplate the Pieta. Mm. Because he said, you know, Jesus' human death is real. There's a separation of his human body and his human soul. But he said, given the hypostatic union, given the fact that the Son unites divinity and humanity, though body and soul are separated, the divinity is still united to the soul and the divinity is still united yes. to the body. Yes. She's not mourning as no. much as she's worshiping. Wow. She is worshiping wow. and adoring her son, the divine son. You know, and at that moment, she's also praying. And in the medieval period, as you know, I'm sure, Mary's prayers are understood to be the instrumental cause of Jesus' resurrection. It isn't as though God needs her prayers to resurrect him, but he doesn't need ours either, you know? <laughs> but he uses those prayers and harnesses them through the power of the Spirit to do what she believes that God alone is capable of doing. And, 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 and that's why she is so essential to our life, because we need to be resurrected, not less than Jesus, but arguably but, but more. I, I wouldn't wow. want to push the envelope too far. 
<laughs> because Mary moves in darkness like the rest of us, the darkness of Absolutely. faith, I naked faith. It's not, it's not the certitude of knowledge no. that everything will turn out well, so I, I can afford to be smug here. Right. I don't need to worry. But it's the certitude of hope, the strength right. of her hope that God will somehow pull the rabbit out of the hat right. and things, you know, as Dame Julian of Norwich puts it, and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. But there isn't any external empirical evidence to testify to that. It's pure faith. Well, speaking about living Mary's mysteries, Teresa Lucier said, I, I don't want to hear a homily about the Blessed Virgin Mary that just tells me about how great she is. I want to see her living as a, being a person living her faith. Show me that, and then I'll be able to live her mysteries. Yeah, I mean, oh. there's no stoic play acting right. in the Pieta, yeah. and yet her dark night is not less dark, but more than yeah. ours. You know, yes. her suffering yeah. is not less, but more than ours, yeah. precisely because love enables us to suffer more, not less. Yeah. And so I don't want to imply or I don't want to suggest in any way that she's just going through the motions, right. you know. Right. Yeah. I think for her to conceptualize trust, as you, as you put it so profoundly, you know, I think is, is something that is unimaginably harder than we ever are asked to do. Yeah. You know, she is asked to love in a way that nobody else does. And I mean, you can reasonably ask her son, why would you put your mother through this? Yes. You know, and then at the same time, you could ask the father, why would you put your son through this? Because love inspires so much more than the law requires, you know, and uh, that's what Mary gets more than we do. But I mean, she only gets it through a continual dark night and then enables us to get through less darkness. You that know. is so important. Love inspires so much more than the law requires. Yes. And yeah. at the heart here of seeing the Pieta, the heart of seeing Our Lady suffering with yeah. Jesus and is answerable only in love, right. not in so, terms and, and, of and just And also when you love somebody, you want to be with them. Amen, and, yeah. and Mary's longing for Jesus, I think, transcends time, which is why I think, as, as many of the church fathers suggest, she did die. She had a kind of heart attack because she desired so ardently to be with him that she couldn't bear to remain in the flesh in this world. And so that flesh is somehow lifted up and assumed body and soul into paradise. And one of the so great you're talking songs. about her dying yeah, her at the a dormition, a, yeah, a, a kind of falling the corruption asleep. Corruption of mortal death. No, 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 no. corruption. No. She falls asleep oh. into the arms of God. Okay. Yeah, I mean, how do joy and sorrow coincide? We don't know. And yet, in her, there's no tension. It's like the more sorrow she embraces, the more joy she experiences. And yet the joy doesn't then eclipse the sorrow. It enables her to enter more deeply into it. And we have faint intimations of that. But, you know, Pope Benedict has said so many profound things. It's risky to say this is his most profound. But when he was speaking at, you know, Lezou in honor of St. Therese, he, he points out the obvious that, that suffering without love is unendurable. But, but love without suffering is empty. You know, love not only proves, uh, suffering is not only what proves love, but it purifies it, it perfects it. You know, but love is what transforms suffering into a holy sacrifice. So it's not how much Jesus suffered on the cross so much as how much he loved, and then that love transforms his passion, but not just his, Mary's too. Yeah. That is a joint passion, that is a mutual gift. Yeah. I'm sorry. That is a big <laughs> mystery. Yeah. That's so true, so central to our lives to find ourselves 
in a position to be present spiritually to Our Lady and Jesus in that suffering you know, death. You, you know, Father, you had mentioned St. Therese, the little flower, who has a wonderful sense of humor. And, and doesn't she also say that in a way she's more blessed <laughs> than the Blessed Mother because the Blessed Mother doesn't have a Blessed Mother, but she does, and her name is the Blessed Mother. Okay, well, we won't push that one too far, but when we come back, we want to talk about living out all these graces. I'm a member of Students for Life, and we've really grown together, especially this semester, in having a real love for Our Lady and, and really turning to her in everything. Um, it, it's not really a, a formal thing in our group to, to have a devotion to Our Lady, but just being out there on Saturdays, praying at the abortion clinic together, all of us, we've come to realize that we can't do it without her. And so each of us have encountered her in a special way, um, out there facing the culture of death and knowing Our Lady's presence, and that helps us to grow together, um, even in a deeper relationship with Our Lady. When I was in Mexico, one of the most powerful examples of devotion was everywhere we went, the roadsides were lined with people who had left their homes as early as a month beforehand in order to arrive at the Basilica for the feast day. And this just showed me the power of intercession through Our Lady of Guadalupe, because a nation that began as entirely pagan has become one of the most Catholic and the most Marian nations in the world. I know that what's being taught here is Catholic, and that is what I believe, and it's what the Church teaches. We're Christians, little Christ. We don't go around always talking about Jesus. But Jesus is always at the heart of every conversation because our relationship is built on Christ, the same way this school is built on Christ. After we've come here and gotten our formation and grown in our faith, we're called to go out and share the truth, Jesus Christ, with the rest of the world. Franciscan University is academically challenging and passionately Catholic. Well, we've come to the last segment on this program on Marian Doctrine and Devotion, and we'll have final wrap-up thoughts from our panelists here, starting with Regis. Yeah, uh, well, the initial thing I'd like to say has to do with the two books on the, on the coffee table, uh, and I can't thank you enough, uh, Father, for the series Magnificat. It's proven indispensable, not just to my life, but my, my wife's spiritual life. You have nourished uh, our interior lives and our marriage. You've been a source of enrichment for us. And I dare say for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in this country, which evince, I, I think, the extent of the hunger for God that you are somehow uh, slaking uh, by this wonderful uh, publication. So keep keep doing it. Maybe you could lower the price a bit, but, but then it wouldn't be quite so lovely. And that brings me to the second uh, item, this book that you've written. When, when it was given to me, I thought, well, the, the cover is great, but I doubt that anything else is. And then I opened it and started reading it, and, and what you've got is even more beautiful, uh, more enriching than the, than the cover itself. And the cover is, is magnificent, really glorious. You, you quote almost everybody in your book. I'm not sure you quote quote Dante, maybe you do and I missed it, but in the final canto 
of the Paradiso. He, he has St. Bernard, you know, speaking directly to Mary, and he calls her Ophelia del tu Ophelio, O daughter of your son. You know, go figure, try to unpuzzle that mystery. But, but Bernard says that you are so great, you know, God so ennobled your nature when he fashioned you that he did not disdain himself to become a making to become himself a human nature. I mean, that's, that's how exalted, how sublime that vehicle of her humanity is. And, and he goes on to say that people whose wish, whose prayer for paradise does not travel on the wings of Mary won't make it. I mean, she is, oh. she's the train that will carry us, the express, straight into eternity. So why would we want to thwart Mary and why would we want to uh, refuse a devotion uh, to her heart? She's on our side. She's our champion. Uh, and you have made that, that point uh, so winsome, so fetching uh, in, in, in this book that uh, I can't uh, thank you enough for writing it. Well, that's zealous and with full commitment. Thank you, Regis. Scott, what would you give well, us at this point? Regis stole most of my thunder. I was going <laughs> yeah. to say the same thing about the Magnificat in our marriage and our home and in countless others. And I was also going to say the same thing about the, the Mysteries of the Virgin Mary. What a beautiful book. But that's true for your other books, too. I'm going back through, you know, again, Why Preach? And what an anthology there. And I draw from it all the time when I, when I teach and when I, when I, when I pray. Uh, but the one thing that really stands out in my mind is uh, what I'd like to leave, and that is it's been said that you can tell how much somebody makes of the gospel, how well they understand it, by how much they appreciate being a child of God and how much they appreciate having God as Abba Father and how much they appreciate being part of a divine family that surpasses you know, being born into the Rockefellers or any other you know, human clan. Uh, but how could it be a family without a mother? And, and, and how could we just have a woman serve as a mother unless she was overshadowed by the power of the Most High and so filled with the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit becomes the heart of her heart, the soul of her soul, the very volitional power for her to love with a love that is truly hers but divine too. You know? And then when we hear Jesus say, behold your mother. Any man who gives you his own mom to be yours is not about to withhold anything else from you. Mm. And so here is the, the, the creator and redeemer of the universe entrusting his mother, which is even greater gift than the whole universe. And so I would just say thank you for writing what reminded me of what it means to be a child of God, to have God as my father, Jesus as the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, but above all, the gift of the Blessed Virgin Mary as our mother. She's the model disciple, she's the masterpiece, she's the mother of God, but she's my mother and yours. And what a bond that makes for us being God's family. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. Well, you've stirred us up. These two are really excited about everything that you've presented and the writings. What final comments would you leave our viewers with after? Well, I'm very struck, Father story. Michael, uh, about a comment uh, by a comment by the Holy Father about purgatory, oh. where he says that if purgatory didn't exist, if we didn't know yes. this doctrinally, we would try to invent it. Yeah. Because we need to know that there is this last chance for mercy, 
It, we just can't oh. face our life without knowing that. And I, I think I would say the same of the Blessed Virgin Mary. If, 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 if God didn't give us his mother to be our mother, we would be looking for her in our life. We would be looking for a way of receiving all of the tenderness, all the closeness, all of the insight, all of the obedience, all of the, the purity, which is the Blessed Virgin Mary, because we, we would know that it would enhance our relationship with the Lord so much that it's just vital to us. So I think we, we would try to, to invent her. And happily, we don't have to invent her because he, she's been given to us expressly from the cross, as St. John Vianney says, as the second greatest gift after the Eucharist and, and, wow. and, and one of his last dying words. St. Louis de Montfort says in the beginning of True Devotion to the, to the Blessed Virgin that, that one of the sadnesses now is that Christ is unknown. And he says one of the reasons why Christ is unknown is because Mary is unknown. So I just would encourage people to, to beg for the desire to know Mary, to get to know her in whatever way they can. And for me, one of the, the best ways is by meditating on the mystery of the visitation. The where visitation, Mary, why that particular? Mary, pregnant with Christ in her womb, goes to Elizabeth, makes that, uh, that long journey where Elizabeth now has the, the child, John the Baptist, in, in her womb, and the child leaps just at the presence of Christ. This is what Mary does. The Venerable John Paul II says, it, Mary's role is to present to us the mysteries of Christ's life, and she does this constantly. So when we pray for the visitation, through the mystery of the visitation, Mary comes to us with Christ present in her, and we're made for that presence. This is why the Eucharist is so important for us to receive before Christ dies. That presence is everything that our heart is longing for. When we pray through the visitation, we beg for Mary to come close to us, and all we need to do is welcome her, and our life begins to change, as Elizabeth did. Wow, that is so rich. There's so much in this program today, and so much zeal and depth I think you ought to view it more often than one. I th once I th have to keep going over this, but certainly uh, everything that you've done, Father, has been great in moving us forward through the Magnificat and through this teaching on Our Lady. And so we're going to send you, just for the asking, a chapter written by Father Peter Cameron titled The Assumption of the Blessed Virgin, which was this was originally printed in our Sunday Visitor's book, The Catholic Answer Book of Mary. Catholic Answer Book of Mary. But anyhow, do it. Get to know Our Lady more deeply. Identify with her. Identify her with her joys and her sorrows. Use the rosary. It is so powerful. Do the consecrations, particularly St. Louis de Montfort. Know that Our Lady will lead you to Jesus, and Jesus will lead you to Our Lady and to deep into the family of God. Till next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you, show his face to you and have mercy on you, turn his countenance to you and give you his peace, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. To receive a free handout on today's topic or to purchase a video of this show, call 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357. 
Email your request to presents at franciscan.edu or write to Franciscan University Presents, Franciscan University of Steubenville, 1235 University Boulevard, Steubenville, Ohio, 43952.